Good afternoon, Crossroads friends. Thank you for joining me again for another lesson in Romans. We will be into Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, as Paul continues to show his case that all of mankind is guilty before God. Before we get into this, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this lesson. I pray that I am clear and concise in what we go through and what we deal with here in Romans 1, verses 1 through 18, and what Paul talks about. Uh, I pray that I am transparent, and I pray that even as I am teaching, I pray that this is a testimony that, that whoever is watching these lessons, they'll see there's a transparency in me. I pray that they can see right through me and that uh, it's, it's not me, but it's you who does this work in guiding me through this and teaching. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Thank you for your son who came and, and paid for what we owe you at the cross and thank you for his resurrection that we have life beyond the grave. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 18 of Romans 3. Paul writes this. He says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. In other words, this is a treasure that's been given to them to be entrusted with. All right. Paul talks about how to Timothy, he goes, Hey, Teach the gospel and the word of God. Teach scripture to those men who can be entrusted with it, that are faithful. And so this was given to the Israelites to be faithful. All right. Now, they fell, they fell short many times. They did in their history. It was just an ongoing cycle of, of the faithfulness of God, how he was to them. And yet they were faithless, but yet God was always there for them. But here they have this opportunity. And we talked about this at the end of chapter 2 about the things that, that the Jews had. They had the, the oracles of God, which is the law. Moses had that presented to him at Mount Sinai. And this, and this was the way in which the Israelites were to live and conduct themselves. And so just to briefly review uh, <clears throat> the, the five, first five books that Moses writes, Genesis through, through um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five books, you know, you see Moses writing about the history of mankind and then all of a sudden God shows his, his grace and covenant to Israel and they are the chosen people. You are, you are my people. I am your God and you are my people. That's the covenant that he had and he was always wanting to use the desire to use them to show his glory and his power and his promises are always kept. God will keep his promises. God is not through with the Jewish people. He is not through with them at all. That's not some, some you know, you read the prophets and everything. He is going to show himself to the Jewish people. Right now it's the times of the Gentiles. Not to get into prophecy or anything, but these are the, the times of the Gentiles, the, full, the fullness of the Gentiles, all those, the nations, the times of the nations and the gospel and how it goes out. God will return to the Jewish people. But 
with what we're talking about here, Paul's talking about how, you know, you, you let this become a routine, a ritual. This is all about a promise here. This is These are outward indications of an inward change that's to take place. What he mentions Abraham with circumcision, the sign of the covenant. I will make you a great and mighty nation and many nations will come from you. All because they were looking for a future redeemer and all of that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So they were entrusted with the oracles of God, the tabernacle, all of the ceremonies, the day of atonement, the Passover, which we will, which is a great illustration here when we get it toward the end of chapter three, when we talk about this. I'm either going to, I'm even going to have a poster in which we're going to show this and talk about this, about how, what Christ did and how he was the fulfillment of, of all of these things. Everything was just a copy and a shadow of things to come. But a future redeemer was what they were looking for. Verse three, what then? If if some did not believe, their, un, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words and might, mightest prevail when thou art judged. See, God is, God is right in all of his ways. He's right. He can't be anything but right. Righteousness. He's just. He's to, be, to, um, to show justice and to practice justice, he is, he is to, he, he's perfect in every way that he has. He's the one who set the boundaries, even going back to creation. I've heard pastors say this before, and this, this makes a lot of sense. You know, right now, we're right here in the first week of December, and we're celebrating the coming and the, and the birth of Christ as we celebrate why he came on this earth. Salvation does not begin with Christ. It's culminated and brought together and finished and completed in Jesus Christ, but it all goes back to recognizing God as creator. God put everything together. He's the one who's created the boundaries. So God is the one who is right. He is, he's the justifier of all things, the great judge. He has a right to do those things because he's put it all together, being the creator. So he is, he, so let, let, he, let God be found true and right and just and let every man be a liar. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be. Hey, God is, God is more than merciful. God's desire is to see all men to come to repentance. Peter talks about that in 2 Peter. His desire is to see all men long for repentance. That's what the Lord wants to see happen. He's merciful. He is. But there comes a time where you can't mock God's justice. You can't mock his righteousness. You can't mock any of these things. There comes a time where his forbearance, things are going to come to an end. He's going to bring things together and this on his timetable and his timeline. So as the writer of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, 
you recognize this. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Come to him. Pursue him. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? But if through my life the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? He, even Paul's saying this. Every man has to come to that point where, hey, I am repenting. I am turning from my wicked ways. I'm always turning from my wicked ways. Yeah, the life that we have in Christ is one in which we are always turning from wickedness and always coming and turning and pursuing him and coming after Christ. That is That never ends, never ends. Why, why not say, as we have slanderous, as we are slanderously reported, and has some affirmed that we say, quote, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Let me stop there for just a second. There was two things going on at the church of, of, at Rome. You had, I mean, you talk about opposite ends here. You had a group of people here who, were, who came from a Jewish background, and they were having to put aside these things about the law. They, they recognized that salvation is in Christ, but they also felt like, in their minds, they recognized that, yeah, we're pursuing Christ, but we're also keeping the law because that's what brings salvation. Christ plus the law equals salvation. And that's where we're at right here. Paul is saying, no, 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 that's not right. In chapter one, he was dealing with the people who were who came from the license to sin. Oh, God will cover me. He'll cover, he, hey, the more I sin, the more grace he bestows on me. We'll talk about that in Romans 6. That Let me tell you something as a word of testimony. Romans 6 was a big part of changing my life and my outlook on Christ and why I live for Christ and how I'm to pursue him. You don't just give your life to Christ and put him on a pedestal. Not at all. You come after him, you're pursuing him all the time. It's almost like once you're on the team, you're you're con you're contributing to the team. You're not sitting on the bench. You are in the game. And once you're in the game, it doesn't go away. So so yes, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's having to deal with these folks who uh, hey, I, I don't have to change my lifestyle. I can keep living the way I want to. We're seeing that creeping into, or the last, let me say this, the last few years, we have been seeing this creep into evangelical churches and evangelical circles, and so so to speak. Things I'd have never thought that, that we would, we as evangelicals would ever bend on. We are doing it now. We are actually compromising on some of these things, these issues that were, were non-issues in years past. Let's go on here. Talk about that a little bit more here. What then, are we better than they? This is, this is Paul talking as a Jew. No, not at all. For we are already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Paul goes on and he quotes from Psalm. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 talks about this. David, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. That's the true statement. 
Why do I pursue God? It's because he is come inside me, taking up residence in me. The Holy Spirit, he's living in me, making himself at home and making, and, 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 and I have this desire. He has put this desire into me to pursue him and to come after him. I don't, I can't find God. I can't discover God. Nobody can. You can't find God. God's revealed to you. And as he is revealed to you, you will continue to pursue him and come after him in all that you do. And, and, and that's, that's a true statement. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave and their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace have they not known. There is no, no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah, David. Yeah, what a, what a, I mean, King David. You know, just to speak about King David and how God used him and they reached, Israel reached the zenith of all their, their uh, military might and political might in that part of the world. I mean, they won battles and wars and all kinds of conflicts and skirmishes. It wasn't until David committed adultery, covered up his sin of the, of the adulterous affair he had with Bathsheba, who was a married woman, to Uriah the Hittite, a faithful servant and soldier under King David. And David put him out on the front line, drew the army back, and he died in battle. David, indirect, David directly committed adultery with Bathsheba, indirectly committed murder. It didn't go unnoticed. God was not pleased with him at all. You know what? The Lord forgave David. David recognized his sin. I have sinned before the Lord. Just that quick. Nathan the prophet says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven, but these are the consequences that you must face here. His family life was never the same. He lost the, the son that died from that. See, your sins don't just affect you. They affect other people as well. That's something I think about constantly about my life and where I'm at. When, when If you think you're going to do something to get away with it or, or whatever that crosses your mind, there, is, there are long-term consequences that you must think through and think about all for the, 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 the pleasures of, of a momentary lapse in judgment, a temporary um, pleasure that you're going for or pursuing. There are long-term consequences for that, and that's why we must take sin seriously. I'm not speaking as a legalist, and I'm definitely not speaking as someone who, who lives in a license to sin, May I continue to do this so that God's grace may abound? No. Remember, this is about a new creature in Christ that we're talking about. Both sides here. I am new, I'm, I'm out of this old way of life, and now I'm pursuing Christ. As a matter of fact, I want to add a word here to this. If I can, 
And if you can see this, in Christ, we have liberty. Okay? It's no longer this that we have. It's no longer this that we are living under. No. When we give our lives to Christ, we are at liberty. In other words, now I have power. God has given me power to do the right thing. I am to do the right thing. We're not talking about sinless perfection. Be careful about that. We've, we've not arrived. We're always pursuing in this body that I'm living in. I am always pursuing. Always pursuing. It doesn't go away. Never. But now we have, we have liberty. We have liberty. God has given us the power to do what is right. Let's go on. Let's talk about this a little bit more here. The last time I was with you, I talked about what Paul talked about with the deeds of the flesh and those things that he talked about to the church at Galatia. Various things like immorality. We get the word pornography from that. Uh, sorcery, which is basically drugs. Uh, drug taking and drug use. Because the root word, we get pharmacy from that. You know, I'm not saying pharmacies are good. Okay, Pharmacies are good. Just went in there the other day. But the point is, is that that's where we get that root word. It's about drug taking. And sorcery also, we think of this, it's tied to witchcraft and things of that nature. So yeah, there's all these different kinds of sins that are tied in with that. And we have to be careful about that. That's why we need always our minds. That's where we're being attacked is through our minds. We're always pursuing and coming after him. And, and the frailty of this body, the law is not enough. And remember, I talked about this last time. The law is the diagnosis. This is the standard by which I recognize where I'm at before God's per perfect standards that he's put before me. The law is the diagnosis. I see that I've fallen short. But that's okay. You're not left without hope. God wants you to recognize that. Hey, he's clapping. You figured it out. You see, that's why I sent my son to bring all this together. And even before Christ in the Old Testament, from the days of the Garden of Eden all the way through Moses and the days of the Israelites, there was always the altar where blood was shed because those men, those faithful saints of the Old Testament recognized that in God's economy, that only through blood is there a forgiveness for sins. It's only covered by that and by that means. That is the only way. Let me step out for just a second. Let me show you something. And I will do this again. Excuse me. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, uh, with all this, you're probably saying to yourself, well, where's my hope at? Where is it at? And I'm going to do this when we, when we get into the end of chapter 3. So I'll do this again. Um, I'm a former junior high teacher, PE teacher, and classroom teacher. So, Believe me, repetition is learning. That's what it's about, and that's how you'll learn these things. Think about this. In the United States, a lot of people use a credit card. They'll use a credit card. And with this credit card, one of the things that they'll do is they'll use this credit card, and what they'll, it, they're able to get gas at a gas station, slide it at the pump in the little uh, uh, counter that it's, that's there at the pump, 
and it'll tell you, hey, you've been approved. In other words, you're good to pay the bill. You can get your gas, $20, $30 worth. You'll get your gas. You get to drive off. At the end of the month, the good people at the, at the uh, credit card business, they're going to send you a bill. What's the big, what is the big deal about this? Why are they sending me a bill? It's because they want all this. Because this, this was just the credit card. It was just a cover for your debt. This will cancel the debt. Yes. The blood of rams, bulls, and goats only covered sin. Jesus Christ came and canceled sin. Remember, last time I was with you all, three words, it is finished, it's done, paid, paid in full, held back the wrath of God, Christ, what Christ did at the cross. Yes. Yeah, if you think about it, you know, um, you know, man, we have, we are more than just physical creatures. If you think about it, we are more than just a physical creature. We are, we are soul and spirit, body, soul, and spirit. As a matter of fact, Paul acknowledges this when he writes to the church at Thessalonica. And he says this in First, in first Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23, as he's finishing up, as he's finishing up his letter, he says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. My soul is the seat of my emotions and my personality. My spirit is my means in which I communicate and pray to the Lord, and he communicates with me and pierces my conscience. We are, that's how we, God has made us, and way back in Genesis chapter 2, God breathed into man and man became a living being. That's more than just, than just uh, taking in oxygen and breathing out uh, carbon dioxide. That is life as we know it. It's not biology, B-I-O, <clears throat> but it's what they call Z-O-E in Greek, Zoe, like the fullness of life that we have. It's been inspired by God. He is the inspiration. He is the beginning point of that. We have been made that way. I have the ability to think on God, to exercise faith in Christ. And so that's why we have to realize that, that Paul here is saying that just, just the law is not going to get you there, my friend. When you talk to people and you have friends I've, I've had conversations with people, and they'll say, how do you know that you have, have salvation and you'll be, live in eternity with Christ? People will say, I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to keep the commandments, the Ten Commandments. You will not, you will fall short every time. You will never, ever be able to keep fully the Ten Commandments. You won't be able to do it because Christ came and fulfilled that. The reason is right here. The law is the diagnosis. This is what this is how we're able to recognize God's perfect standards that we cannot meet. We cannot meet those standards. That's why Christ came and did what he did. 
And, and so God wants us to see our sin. And so when we think about this, think about the consequences that sin has. It can have long-term effects if we're not real careful. You know, I've talked about this a little bit. Visual and graphic images can be lasting on the soul. I'm talking about pornography. It is rising among high school and college students. Men, young men are being tortured with this as they, in their minds. It's something they can't break from. And it, it, we need to pray for young, young people, young men, young women. But it's, it's, it's just really hard, you know, with what we see happening today among a lot of students. And I've seen it. I've seen what has happened. And they're, they're battling through it. They've recognized it. They're recovering. But they're realizing it's an ongoing battle. And it's the same way with sin. It doesn't go away. But boy, I'm grateful that the Lord is with me through it. His spirit is living in me and residing in me and directing me to Christ all the time, directing me. You know what? As a matter of fact, speaking of that with immorality, each time you give yourself to someone intimately, you give a portion of your soul to a young, a, a young man will give himself to a young woman. This has, this has affected many <coughs> men and women, and they bring this, quote, baggage into their marriage because of these sins that we talked about. And I'll, let me read them again. This is, from, this is from Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, and disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why we take sin seriously. you know. And I don't want to be a killjoy when I'm up here because when you're in Christ, you have everything you could ever want. You have all the joy that you could ever have or possess. It's incredible what you have. Don't get me wrong. I, I live. I live in this. I live in this world, but I'm not of it. I don't want to be of it. I want my life to where I'm insulated from these things. Yeah, you can't isolate yourself from the world that's going on around you, but you sure can insulate yourself. Because guess what? God wants to use us to reach out to people as we speak His grace and share His grace, and we testify and we witness to people. That's how we're used in that way. Yeah. That's why we live this way. You know what? And as, as, as I'm on this, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox, not at all, but I'm just trying to talk to you about sin in American culture. What I have seen, and I've, I just turned 57, I think about this in terms of each American generation pushes the limits on sexual morality and the morals of our day. But Guess what? Let me share this with you. This, this is what's interesting. This is, how, this is how people in the name of religion, how they'll get things kind of messed up a little bit. There was a community in Oneida, New York. It was in the 1880s. There was a community up there, and there was a gentleman named Henry Noyes, N-O-Y-E-S, and he preached <clears throat> sinless perfection. He said, once you're in Christ, you're perfect. This right here, license to sin. You're perfect. You don't have to do anything else. 
It's true, I don't have to do anything to make myself right because Christ has done that, but he is transforming my life. I'm still in this body. There's still going to be a struggle with sin that I have to deal with, and I have to, I have to deal with it in Christ. And this is, but this is what he said. He said, you're perfectly sanctified. And he, he, he talked about a, there was a, they basically created a commune. And within this community, there was communal sinlessness was practiced through communal marriage. Every woman belonged to every man. Every man belonged to every woman. Redefining everything. Redefining everything what scripture says. Yeah. From the days, early days, one man, one woman, when Adam saw Eve, he was excited. She is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Therefore, for this very reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and will cling to his wife and they shall become one. The two shall become one. Genesis 2, verse 24. Let's look at this. Let's look at let's look at, at at David. You know, David got kind of sloppy with his life and how he lived. I mean, he was a man. He's this is a man described. He is a man after God's own heart. And in Second Samuel, chapter chapter eleven, we see in in verses one through five. We see how all this is set up. It says in verse 1, 2 Samuel 11, Then it happened <clears throat> in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. David was supposed to be leading his men in battle, but he turned those duties over to Joab his second in command. And they won. But David was supposed to be doing that. Because David didn't go to battle and lead his men, he stayed at home. He notices the next evening, <clears throat> David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the house, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful in appearance, Bathsheba. And you're sitting there thinking, well, why was Bathsheba out doing this public bathing and kind of exposing herself? Because all the fighting men, all there were, were elderly people, the women, the children, small children, everybody else of fighting age was out doing battle. And it was in the evening, too. She didn't expect a man from up above to be looking down on her to bathe, I'm sure. But look, David is up all night, <clears throat> sleeping during the day, staying up all night. He's gotten lazy. He's gotten slothful. That's what we have to be careful about. There's the first rule right there about sin and being aware of this. We've never arrived. We're always pursuing. So David, in verses 6 through 15, we see that he has, he he's, Anyway, we go on and we, he sends messengers and he takes her and he lays with her. There's intimacy there. They have sex. She gets up. 
purifies herself from her uncleanness and returns to her house. The woman has conceived. She sent and told David, I am pregnant. David sent Joab and he said, send Uriah the Hittite, the husband. So Joab sent Uriah to David. Uriah came to him. David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people in the state of the war. David said to Uriah, hey, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. See, he wanted to cover this up. Here's the start of the cover-up right here. She's pregnant. Go down, spend time with your wife, be intimate with your wife. But he didn't do it because he knew that he needed to be back out on the field to fight. That's the kind of man Uriah was. He knew what his duties were. Uriah said to, <clears throat> to David, David says to him in verse 10, have you not come from your journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening, <clears throat> he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. This is Uriah. Now it came about in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, and he sent it by the hand <coughs> of Uriah. And he placed, and he had written in the letter, saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. The cover-up. Murder. The king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, as he's described in 1 Samuel. There it is. So we see this happen, and sure enough, just just to fast forward this, Uriah is killed in the middle of battle. There's a time of mourning, verse 27, at the end of 2 Samuel 11. David sent and brought her to his house, and she brought his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. It wasn't that it was disappointing. It was evil. Wow. Wow. That the Lord deemed this as evil. The king of Israel. All of a sudden, Nathan the prophet goes to David and he shares with him a little story. This rich man has everything he wants, but there's this poor man who's got this sweet little ewe lamb. But that rich man wants that ewe lamb. And so, he rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared for the man who had come to him. David's anger burned because he thought, hey, this guy's kind of, he's cheating this poor man. His anger burned. As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. And he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, four things, fourfold, because he did not, he did this thing and had no compassion. Listen to what Nathan says in verse 7, 2 Samuel 12. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. 
I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if it had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Notice he says, you have struck him down. He says that to David. You're, this is your fault. And have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. As a matter of fact, his own sons hated him. His daughter gets into an incestuous affair. Absalom wants to rout him and run him out of the kingdom. Absalom and Amnon, they <clears throat> they get into a they they get into a fight because Amnon has had this incestuous affair with with his with his sister. And so and and Absalom is enraged and he kills Amnon and then Absalom doesn't end there. He's going to run David out of the kingdom. See, there's turmoil in the family and conflict. See what happens with sin? Just from the graphic and visual images, if it's not, we don't get a hold of it. We, we cannot let it master ourselves. This is an ongoing story when we, when we get into Romans 6 about dealing and confronting sin and not letting it be master over us. This is really cool stuff. <coughs> I mean, when I say cool, I mean it is, it is awesome to learn these things as we pursue this and get into this. But in, in, look, let me finish reading the rest of this as I finish this up. I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. And I'm gonna expose you. God is saying, I will expose you for what you have done. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognized that. And the way, way that's written is that it's somber and it's very, uh, uh, you know, David feels a lot of not just remorse, but repentance. I have sinned. In his heart, he recognizes it. I have sinned. David's ministry in Israel was never the same. It was never the same. His family life, everything, just really everything just was not the same. That son passed away, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, God gave him a son, Solomon. And oh my goodness. Oh, the wealth that came through Israel and the military might. It continued, as good as it was with David, it just accelerated under Solomon. Man, incredible. Notice what Nathan says, though. The Lord has taken away your sin you shall not die. However, because of this deed, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Read this last, or last time. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know what? I don't want people to ever say anything ill about the Lord because of me. That's why we need to always be conscious of this and careful. The child also that is born to you shall surely die. And Nathan went to his house. Yeah. Yeah. Let me finish up by sharing this with you. 
one of the things that we see as we continue to go through this, as we as we look in Romans, I mean, there's a lot of, of uh, you have to really study this, and you need to really be ready and, and always prepared as you go through this, and, and there's a lot of, um, I'm going to say it this way, heavy things to think through as we do this, but man, Talk about explaining the riches of the Christian life. As we've, <clears throat> we've been talking about sin and how it is universal in all of mankind. And then we see how we are saved from sin. We have a Savior who has come to save us from our sins. <clears throat> and then we see how, how we've been set apart for what God has for us in what we do and how we, how we live our lives. Man, this is going to be good. When we're going to finish up, we're going to go. We're going to go through uh, uh, Romans nineteen <coughs> through twenty-five next next time that I get with you guys. So we'll go through this and study this some more. May the Lord richly bless you in all you do. And please, with everything that I've talked to you about, please search the scriptures daily with great eagerness and excitement. See that these things are true in what I've studied and what I've prepared because it keeps me accountable in what I do and it makes you a disciple, a student of God's word. Merry Christmas to you and yours and may he richly bless you in all that you do. Recognize him for who he is, Savior of the world, Lord of all things. He's in charge of all things. Yes, yes. God bless you and we'll see you again real soon.